So my question for you this morning is, who is the most famous person that you know? Who's the most famous person that you know? I was thinking about that this past week. I know the coach of the Nigerian Women's World Soccer Cup team. I do. I, my next-door neighbor, I know her, and she just went over this weekend. She just went over one million followers on Instagram. So I guess she's famous, and I know her, and she knows me. Both. I also, um, well, Cody Zeller plays for the Miami Heat. It's like their center. I know his brother. Does that count? Okay. And um, I, I also talked to Debbie Stabenow on the phone. That was back when we were having our 150th celebration for the church, and, and she said, congratulations, by the way. I don't know if I remember to tell you that or not. But who is the uh, most famous person that you know? Oh, by the way, I almost, almost, almost got to meet the queen. Kelly and I went to uh, England last fall, and four days before we got there, she passed. We were that close. We didn't really have anything scheduled with her, but, you know, anyhow, I was that close. And when we got there, it was really interesting because you got to see what it was like to see somebody who really was a celebrity and the impact that she had had. And so when we got there, we got there on a Tuesday. She had passed on the Thursday before, and they were bringing her down into London, I think on the Wednesday. So that day, we just stayed to the east side of London instead of the, over by Westminster and, and where she was laying, lying in state. And, and we went and did the, the Tower of London and the, and the Tower Bridge and St. Paul's Cathedral and came across the Millennium Bridge. And we're standing on the south side of the Thames there, and I think I've told this story. We're standing on the south side of the Thames, and all these people are lined up along the river. And I'm like, well, I don't really know what the, the, what the protocol is here when, when British royalty passes, but there must be like some cool thing that comes down the river, like a, a flotilla or whatever like that. And I'm like, I don't want to miss this. And so I'm kind of scoping out where I'm going to find my spot on the river. But I didn't like know when it, what was coming or when it was coming, and so I found a policeman there, and I'm like, what's going on here by the river? And he's like, oh, that's the queue. I was like, okay, the queue. The queue for what? He said, oh, that's the queue for the queen. And I'm like, well, I'm standing right here, and I'm pretty sure Westminster's like two miles that way. He's like, yeah. He said, they're all lined up to see the queen. And actually, that line actually doubled from where we were standing. I guess it became like four miles long. And people were standing in line for between 8 and 12 hours to walk by and see the queen, which is kind of crazy. And I mean, they got to walk by. That's it. There wasn't anything else going on there. But it was an interesting time to be there when the queen had passed, just to see the impact that she had. Well, we had had tickets to go to Buckingham Palace, and those got canceled. But we decided to go anyhow. I mean, just to see the outside of it. Behind, kind of to the side of Buckingham Palace, was Greens Park, which is where all the people were taking their flowers and their notes. And these are some of the pictures that we took. And I would say that there was probably, you can keep advancing there, there was probably about an acre's worth of ground there that was just covered by flowers and by these notes. And if you can actually zoom in on those, you can actually read some of these notes and some of them were like just sweet, like little five-year-old kids, and they'd drawn pictures of the queen, or she had those dog, dog, dogs, but uh, they were really, and kids had drawn little pictures of the dogs, and, and all these notes. But as I was standing there today, it really struck me, like, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but it's like, what's the big deal about the queen? I mean, we don't have that here in the United States, 
And, and actually, I'm not sure if it would be a bad idea because she's kind of a uni- she was kind of a unifying force there in Great Britain, but I'm like, she seemed like a nice lady. I think she really took her job and her position seriously and really tried to do a lot of good for a lot of people, especially there in England. But what made her so special? Just the fact that she got born into that family. That's all I could come up with. And there's probably, even as you're in England that time, there's probably other people who were just as nice, who, were, who you know, had just as big a heart and, and, and were influencing people just as much. They just didn't happen to be born into that family. But it was all this idea was just running through my mind is, is how fascinated we are with celebrities and celebrityism. And I don't know if that's a word or not, but it is for this morning. And how fast, you know, how much we're drawn to, to that. I mean, we all want to meet a celebrity. And maybe you've stood in line or maybe you've hung your little, you know, your piece of paper over, over the edge of the uh, stands there and hoping that some athlete would come by and, and sign it. Or, or, you know, we want to know a celebrity or we want to get a picture with a celebrity. In fact, we're so desperate, we'll even get like a cardboard cutout of a celebrity and get our picture taken with that in hope that maybe nobody notices, like the light reflecting uh, off that piece of cardboard there. But we want to experience and enjoy celebrity even for ourselves. And so we pay attention to what celebrities wear, and we wear the same thing. And and we pay attention to to where they go when we go to the same places, and and we pay attention to what they think. Sometimes we think the same things, and we listen to what they support, and like, oh, I support that. And we, we believe what they say, and we don't even know if they believe what they say, but they said it. So, so, hey, that sounds good to me because, you know, there's something special there. And celebrity is a staple in our society because for whatever reason, we seem to feel the need for somebody who's bigger than we are, who's somebody who's like got it figured out. I mean, they've, they've been able to make it happen, and, and, and it's obvious they haven't figured it out because look at all the people who are following them. And we need heroes in our lives because we look at ourselves and you're like, yeah, I'm nothing special. I'm definitely not hero material here. And so we go looking for other heroes, and they give us identity because if we're completely honest, we're not always that crazy about ourselves. And so instead of me, insignificant me, me, unknown me, nobody cares about me, I can kind of latch on to that person, and I can, in a sense, almost live through them, and I can experience and enjoy some notoriety or some significance. And we see this in society everywhere, don't we? But we also see it in Christianity. We have our Christian celebrities. Think about this. We have our celebrity podcasters. We have our celebrity radio show hosts. We have our celebrity bands and our celebrity singers. We have our celebrity offers, and we have our celebrity pastors, and we have our celebrity conference speakers, and we have our celebrity social media people and our theologian celebrities, and we have our celebrity Christian athletes, and we have our celebrity Christian politicians, and we have our celebrity Christian entertainers and comedians, and all of these people, and we're like, okay, we're in their camp, and we're following them because they have a Christian attached to their name. And that somehow is a little bit more palatable to us. But celebrityism, I don't think, is necessarily a good thing. Because too often we idolize people that we really don't know that much about. 
I mean, I know how she can sing, but I don't know how like she treats the people who travel with her. And, and I know that he's a good speaker, but I don't really know how he treats his, his wife or kids. And so we idolize them. Sometimes we even imitate them without having a whole lot of knowledge. We prioritize fame over virtue. And that's the big deal. Okay, yeah, everybody knows who you are on the outside, but who are you really on the inside? And we mindlessly follow along, and we nod, and we let them do our thinking for us. And we actually reduced faith to a performance level where you just need to act a certain way. And if you'll act a certain way, and if you'll post a certain picture in a certain place, and, and we turn it all into performance and, and, and appearance and personality and, and even best practices. And we leave the Holy Spirit out of the equation. But that's not just our problem here in 20, 21st century America. That's not really our problem here just at, at Waterford Community Church. In fact, this has been a problem of the church through the ages. And this is a problem of the church in Corinth. They were into celebrities. They were into special people. In fact, if you go back into the book of 1 Corinthians, what did Paul have to say? Hey, you know, some of you are saying, I follow Paul, and I follow Peter, and I follow Apollos, and there's some of the super spiritual among you. You follow Jesus. Stop being like that. And Paul's already addressed that in the past. But now, as, as we read his letter, his second letter, or fourth letter, or fifth letter, however you want to count it, he's addressing it again because they are way too much into celebrities. And so Paul has written this letter, and he's written it, and we've identified several reasons that he wrote it. He wrote it, first of all, just to be an encouragement, and we go through the first chapters there. He talks about here's how to find comfort, and here's how to be, find encouragement. He also wrote it to deal with some specific issues, and we haven't even looked at that in our study of the book of Upside Down, uh, some of those issues that, that, are, that they were dealing with. He also wrote it to encourage generosity. In fact, chapters 8 and 9, he really dives into that. Here's how to be generous. But then when we get to chapter 10, and we talked about this a couple weeks, Mark followed it up with it last week. He starts to address a, an issue in the church, and I really think it's the, the biggest reason why he's writing this letter. And he's pushing back against these people because they have been following the wrong people and they've been following the wrong teaching. And so in chapters 10, 11, 12, 13, he's pushing back against that. And we started that back a couple weeks ago on how to, to deal with opposition. Mark actually took a, a little bit of a center section of this last week and did a phenomenal job. And if you did not... If you weren't here last week, you need to go back and watch that message. It was a masterful uh, handling of First Corinthians or Second Corinthians 12 there. But I want to go back and look at this again this week because what's going on here in Corinth is they've been having a spiritual beauty pageant, and Paul's losing. And it's not because he's not attractive enough. It's because, well, they shouldn't have even been having a beauty pageant, if you want to call it that way. But they had found more attractive leaders who were bigger celebrities than Paul. Think about that one. Like, who would you say is the greatest personality of the New Testament outside of Christ? Paul? 
But the people in Corinth had convinced themselves that Paul was kind of a lesser and that there were people there who were way more profound, way more impressive, way more celebrity-ish. And so Paul lays out here, starting in chapter 10, but especially through chapters 11 and 12, he lays out his arguments against this thinking by laying out his credentials for why he should be considered the celebrity of the day. And he's actually not arguing for celebrityism. He's arguing it against it. And what he's saying here is, here's what you should be looking for in the people that you follow. Here's what you should be looking for in the people that you become. And so we want to look at chapter 11 there. And I'm going to read this morning from the New Living Translation. So if you're following along on your phone, I would go ahead and switch to that at the NLT. I'm just doing that specifically because we're going to read a lot of scripture here. And, and it will be easier for, to follow along with, with a little bit more modern translation. But in chapter 11, verse number 1, it says this. Paul's writing, I hope you will put up with a little bit more of my foolishness. Please bear with me. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you the church as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted, just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the service. serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you receive, or a different kind of gospel than the ones you believe. Why do you put up with that? He's going to go on, he's going to say this in a backward sort of way. They put up with that because they were so impressed by these celebrity speakers. But he's saying you're being fooled, you're being misled, you're accepting what you're being told, and you're accepting people that are telling you that, that you should be dismissing, because what they're telling you is not true. So he goes on here, verse number five, but I don't consider myself inferior in any way to these, and he pulls out the air quotes, these super apostles, and that actually shows up in your, in your script, right? In your manuscript. I don't consider myself inferior to these super apostles who teach such things. I may be unskilled as a speaker, but I'm not lacking knowledge. And we've made this clear to you in every possible way. So who are these super apostles? These super apostles were the people who had stood up and are leading in the church in Corinth and saying, hey, look at us. We've got the truth. And they were evidently like very eloquent speakers. And so everybody's like, oh. That's really good. I haven't thought about that before. And they're all in line following. And Paul's over here like, oh, time out. But the problem is Paul's not a good speaker. Isn't that funny? And it's not just here where that shows up, where Paul says, though, I'm just not very good at speaking. He's pretty good at writing. He's pretty good at evangelizing. He's pretty good at discipling. But evidently, public speaking wasn't his forte. And Paul's saying, though, because I'm not a great public speaker, you guys have dismissed me, and you have installed these super apostles. Okay, but they have the words, but I actually have the knowledge. Interesting thought, isn't it? Well, he goes on here, verse number 7. Was I wrong when I humbled myself and honored you by preaching God's good news to you without expecting anything in return? 
I robbed other churches by or accepting their contributions so that I could serve you at no cost. And when I was with you and didn't have enough to live on, time out. When I was with you and didn't have enough to live on, how sad is that? I did not become a financial burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia brought me all that I needed. I have never been a burden to you, and I never will be. It surely is the truth of Christ is in me. No one in all of Greece will ever stop me from boasting about this. Why? Because I don't love you? No, God knows that I do. And this is the weirdest argument. But the super apostles were criticizing Paul because Paul had not taken any money from the Corinthian church. He had worked for free. And they said, see, the fact that he's working for free means that he really can't command a good wage here. You know, like the really good speakers are the ones who make 5000 or 10000 or sometimes we hear these celebrity speakers can make 50000 100000 a day. The super apostles were saying, if Paul were really as good as he says he is, he'd be wanting you to pay something for him. And Paul's saying, hey, you know what? I'm taking nothing from you guys. I started this church. I was here for 18 months. I took nothing from you. In fact, when I didn't even have anything, I still didn't ask you for anything, I had to go get it from other churches to make sure that, that I could actually live. And they're taking this and turning it around. And he says, you know what, though? I still don't want anything. In fact, the reason I'm writing you right now is not because I want to be paid. I'm writing you because I care about you and I care about what's going on here in this church. So in verse number 12, I'll continue to do what I've always done. This will undercut those who are looking for an opportunity to boast that their work is just like ours. And then he gets really specific. These people are false apostles. They're deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But I am not surprised. Even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. In the end, they will get the punishment that their wicked deeds deserve. Wow. That's pretty direct, isn't it? The people that you're putting up there on Sunday morning to lead the church are messengers evidently of Satan. That's strong. So, though he's saying to the church, be careful who you admire, be careful who you idolize, be careful who you make a celebrity out of. It's dangerous stuff. And so he goes on there in verse number 16. Again, I say, I don't think I'm a fool to talk like this, but even if you do, excuse me, let me try that verse again. Again, I say, don't think that I am a fool to talk like this, but even if you do listen to me, as you would to a foolish person, well, I also boast a little bit. And now he starts to lay out some of his arguments or some of his credentials. So boasting is not from the Lord, but I am acting like a fool, since others boast about their human achievements. Notice that word there, human achievements? I will too. After all, you think you're so wise, but you enjoy putting up with fools. And the sarcasm here starts to really read through, doesn't it? You put up with it when someone enslaves you, takes everything you have, takes advantage of you, takes control of everything, and slaps you in the face. I am ashamed to say that we've been too weak, air quotes again, to do that. The people that you're following with rapt attention 
are slapping you in the face spiritually. And you're just like, oh, okay. And Paul said, we do not do that. But what he's pointing out here is to beware of people who even in the spiritual realm, the spiritual world, the Christian world, are obviously in it for themselves. Are obviously in it for the prestige or the name or the power or the fame. Pick your poison there. But whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again, I dare to boast about it too. Mark talked a little bit about that idea of boasting here, but I think this is a, uh, a dig. If, if, you want to, if you want to hint at somebody that you probably shouldn't be following, listen to how much he talks about himself. How much does he boast? Okay, that's an indicator that we have in a problem here. And so he goes on, verse number 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. And he starts out with his Jewish credentials, and then he kind of abandons that. And Mark read this next passage last week, so I'm not going to go through it. But he starts to talk about all these hardships that he's actually been through. And he, and he chooses that instead of what I would choose as credentials. And then he saves like his biggest arguments for his hardships for the last. Check out verse number 28. Besides all of the hardships I've gone through, shipwrecks and beatings and stonings, besides all of that, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. You want to know what's worse than a shipwreck? Just try being in charge of a church. That's what Paul is saying here. Now, he had more than one church, but he was saying the daily stress, the daily burden of my concern for the spiritual well-being of these people is a hardship too. And so he goes on and, and he writes more there and... Uh, but let me just pause here as we look at this list of credentials and pull out what he's said so far. First of all, his first credential, he says, is I have been through a ridiculous number of hardships. I've been through prison, whippings, stonings, shipwrecks, betrayals, robbers. And his point, I've had a hard time of it, but I haven't quit. I kept going. I've hung in there when times were tough. And if you want to know the character of a person, watch that person in adversity. And how does he respond to adversity? And if you can get close enough to see that, then you're going to have a little bit of an idea of what this person is really like and who he is. And that's what we should be looking for. And so Paul lists his credentials, not so much the hardships, as it is the, the perseverance. I've hung in there, and if you want to know who's legit, find the person who hangs in there. The first person who faces the problems and still keeps going. The second thing that he says here, and Mark talked about this last week, but he said, I have definite weaknesses. One of his weaknesses was the fact that he was not a great public speaker. And he admits that, okay, I'm not great at that. I have these weaknesses. And then he says, though, I also have these weaknesses that are defined by the thorn in the flesh. Mark talked about that last week. I have those weaknesses too. I, I have all of these weaknesses. Now, weaknesses are not like, you know, I have all these different sins that are going on in my life. Weaknesses are like, you know what? I have limitations. 
And when somebody is like presenting this, this persona on stage, they're like, I have the whole thing figured out and just follow me and just do what I do, you'll be good. That's foolish. Because any of us who stand on the stage are so aware of our weaknesses. But what weaknesses do is weaknesses push us back to God. And should. And so Paul's saying here, not just like I have weaknesses, but he's actually pointing out the fact that I've had to learn God dependence. And I've had to step back so that God could step in. And I've had to admit these the fact that I can't do it all, and I've had to let God supplement that. Maybe that's not even the best word. But it's all about God then doing the work, and it's all about God getting the glory. And what he's saying here is my credentials, I don't have that many, but God dependence. How about that? He also says this, I have not looked to you for financial help, ever. And I won't. And I can... I'll just add here, I don't think this was a smart move on Paul's part. Because I think he was trying to be, do the right thing. Like, I don't want to add a financial burden here. This is a new church or whatever else like that. But they got into some really bad financial habits too. In fact, he just spent two chapters of this letter saying, guys, stop being stingy. You already committed to give to these, the, the church of Jerusalem who had need here. And so they hadn't been given over there. They hadn't been given to Paul. But he says, I haven't looked to you for financial help. But what's his point? I'm not in this for myself, guys. And he's talking about selflessness. And if you want to get behind somebody, don't look for the person who is collecting applause and, and collecting the big speaker fees and collecting all these things. Find the person who's willing to do what he should do, but it's not about him. It's selfless service. Well, we go on here and we read into chapter 12. Verse number one, this boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up into the third heaven about 14 years ago, and, and, and Mark dealt with this again last week. But he makes this point here. I have had some unique personal experiences. And so he mentions this one about having this vision that he'd had 14 years ago that he'd never mentioned up till this point. And it's like, okay, I'm going to pull this one out because i got to use it now. But I've had that vision. But, and, and, and as Mark mentioned, I have had other visions and revelations that show up in the book, book, of, Max, uh, book of Acts. Oh, oh, by the way, he had that whole Damascus Road thing too. Anybody had anything like that? Probably not. And he, you know, he also had the whole experience of singing in the jail and, and having the earthquake take place. And then we think that he was probably like discipled one-on-one -on -one by Jesus himself in Arabia. I mean, he had some unique personal spiritual experiences. And so what is he saying, though? He's saying, you know what? I'm not going to stand up here and tell you how great I am as a speaker or tell you how great I am as a singer or, you know, I'm not going to wow you with my personality. I am going to say this. I know Jesus. I do walk with him. My personal experience with him is real and authentic 
And that should mean something. And so the issue then becomes the issue of reality. And so let me just jump over the passage that Mark looked at last week and let's dive back into it because it's all part of the same here. In verse number 11, he said, You have made me act like a fool. You ought to be writing recommendations for me because I am not inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm, I'm not anything and I recognize that. But when I was with you, I certainly gave you proof that I am an apostle, for I patiently did signs and wonders and miracles among you. That's interesting. The only thing I failed to do, which I do in the other churches, was to become a financial burden to you. Sarcasm here, forgive me for this wrong. But what is he saying? He's saying, you know what? I have demonstrated spiritual giftedness. And I would say spiritual giftedness versus demonstrated my personal talents. Because they were looking to these super apostles who had like the great talent of public speaking or maybe had the great you know, talent of personal charm. And Paul's like, yeah, I don't got much there. But, you know, I actually have done these signs and wonders. And if you're wondering what those are, there's, a, you know, there's some pretty fascinating things. But he's saying, you know what? It's about giftedness. And giftedness doesn't point to me. Giftedness points to God. But he's shown the gifts of evangelism, shown the gifts of generosity, and shown the gifts of discernment and knowledge and wisdom. And his point was, hey, when you're looking for a leader, look for somebody who's showing some spiritual giftedness where it really isn't about him, and it really is about what God's doing in his life and in his story. Verse number 14, now I'm coming to you for the third time, and I will not be a burden to you. I don't want what you have. I want you. After all, children don't provide for their parents. Rather, parents provide for the children. I will gladly spend myself, and I have for you, even though it seems like the more I love you, the less you love me. But he makes this point too. He says, I have loved you and I have been loyal to you. I have sacrificed for you. I continue to. You've mistreated me. You've allowed me to be maligned. You haven't even been in my corner the whole time, but I've been in yours. And that's why I keep writing you. Letter number four or letter number five, however you're counting. That's why I keep visiting you. It's because I won't give up on you. You're driving me crazy but I won't give up, and I'm going to stay after it. And it's the care and concern, and that's persistence. And Paul's saying, hey, if you want to look at somebody to, to follow, find somebody who loves you and pursues you passionately and persistently. Verse number 16, some of you admit that I was not a burden to you, but others think I was sneaky and took advantage of you by trickery. But how? Did any of the men I sent you take advantage of you when I urged Titus to visit you and send our other brother with him? Did Titus take advantage of you? No. For we have the same spirit and walk in each other's steps, do things the same way. Maybe you think we're saying these things just to defend ourselves. No. Actually, we tell you this as Christ's servants and with God as our witness. Everything we do, dear friends, is to strengthen you. For I'm afraid when I come, I won't like what I find and you won't like my response. 
I'm afraid that I'm going to find quarreling. I'm afraid I'm going to find jealousy. I'm afraid I'm going to find anger and selfishness and slander and gossip and arrogance and disorderly behavior. I'm afraid that when I come again, God will humble me in your presence and I will be grieved because many of you have not given up your old sins. You have not repented of your impurity, your sexual immorality and ignorance, your lustful pleasure. Here's the seventh thing that he says here. You know what? I have always been about the truth with you, and I've told you the truth, and sometimes it's been hard truth. And I'm telling you the truth right here again because I believe that the truth matters. And so when you're looking for somebody to follow, don't just look for somebody who tells you what you want to hear. Look for somebody who's going to tell you the truth. And not just tell you the truth, but live out the truth that they're telling you. It's a tall order. But that's what Paul's saying here. And he's making a big deal about integrity. And then the last thing here, he says, I have always been about Jesus. And he finishes his argument kind of where he starts. If you go back to, 10, uh, to chapter 10, verse number 1, or chapter 11, verses number 2 or 3, he's all about, hey, guys, I'm arguing with you not because I need you to think I'm a super apostle. I'm arguing with you and I'm challenging you because you're letting celebrities pull you away from the truth. And it's always been about Jesus. And so we see this idea of humility here, and he has this crazy list of credentials that are really upside down. And notice what didn't make the list. Personality didn't make the list. His leadership skills didn't make the list. His eloquence, he didn't have any, didn't make the list. His natural giftedness didn't really make the list. The size and scope of his ministry didn't make the list. Think about this. This is what Paul had accomplished. He wrote either 12 or 13 books of the New Testament. So he was most, the most prolific writer of the New Testament. He mentored the likes of Silas, Luke, Epaphras, Epaphrodias, Onesimus, Lydia, Timothy, Titus, Tychicus, and the list goes on. He started, we think, 14 churches in Asia Minor and Europe. He refers to the apostolic signs and miracles, like he had been responsible for the blindness of Elymas. People brought handkerchiefs and napkins to him, and he touched them, and they would go back and heal people with them. Uh, he'd heal the cripple at Lystra. He'd heal the father of Publius. He'd shaken a viper off his hand to poison his snake. He'd resurrected Eutychus, who had fallen out of a window and died because he fell asleep when Paul was speaking, which I guess proves that Paul was a boring speaker. I don't know. None of that gets mentioned. He didn't mention the number of bestsellers he'd written or the number of conferences that he was speaking at next year, the number of listeners to his podcast, the number of people on his staff, or the attendance figures of the church for the last decade. What did he mention? Well, check out my perseverance, guys. I just hung in there. My God dependence. It's, it's not me. I know that. I, I, I've got these weaknesses, and they're pretty obvious, aren't they? Um, how about my selflessness? I really don't want it to be about me. How about my spiritual reality? That's it. I just want to be authentic. I just want to be genuine in front of you. Uh, my giftedness is not my giftedness. It's the spirit that comes and gifts me. It's the persistence, my persistence, my refusal to give up on you, my integrity, my humility, my faithfulness. I've been faithful. I tried my best. I have loved you. I have stressed out over you. I've lost sleep over you. I've refused to give up on you. 
Doesn't that count for something? You know, let me just finish up here this morning, and I'm going to skip through a whole bunch of your notes there and get down to the, to the last point there. The celebrityism of our culture, we really need to avoid this. It's not helpful to the church, actually, that, that we have access to all these celebrities that are swirling in the world around us because we don't really know that much about them, and we're too quick to just dive in and accept everything that they say or to imitate them. And we need to go back to saying, okay, what does the Bible say? What is the truth here? I know that sounds good, but really, where did that come from? And to really dig into that ourselves. And we need to find people to follow that we actually know, that we can actually say, you know, I've observed this person. I've observed this person as he's led my small group or, or, or taught my, 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 my youth group here. And, and we need to get back to, to, to church on that level. The problem with celebrityism is it changes what our faith is supposed to be about. And it makes it all about people, and it makes it all about pastors, and it makes it all about religious leaders, and it makes it all about singers, and who knows what. When it's supposed to be about Jesus. And that's what we need to get back to. This church, any church, it belongs to Jesus. It's not my church. I was going to kick out of it, like sometimes, well, you know, that's Rick Bosnack's church, or that's Tom Hampton's church, or that's Mike Rath's church, and some of the churches here in Waterford. No, they're not. It's Jesus' church on, you know, whatever, Scott Lake Road. And, and it's Jesus' church on Airport Road. And it's Jesus' church, and we need to get back to that. So how do we turn celebrityism upside down? First of all, we need to stop making it such a big deal. You don't need to find your identity in somebody else. You need to find your identity in Jesus Christ and who God's made you to be, and that's good enough. And if there's stuff in your life that you need to work on, work on it. But you're good enough. God didn't make you to be great in the world's eyes. That's fine. You can still be great in his eyes. And that's where we need to give our attention. We need to focus on virtues instead of talents. We need to focus on humility Instead of having everybody be impressed by us. We need to focus on serving others rather than being served ourselves. We need to focus on persistence and refusing to give up. We need to focus on integrity, genuineness. And those are what we need to give our lives to. Because at the end of the day, celebrity doesn't matter. You know what? I don't say this flippantly, but the queen is gone. She's passed on. And the fact that she was the queen means nothing right now. Where in your life do you need to turn this idea of celebrityism upside down? Let's pray. Okay, thank you for your word. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for Paul taking one for the team here. Because he really did. You know, we can learn so much out of that. And God, I just... Pray for your church, for your people. We live in a world that's just crazy about the celebrityism, and, and 
and we live in a Christianity, too, around us that is as well. God, please give us discernment. Please give us humility. Please give us wisdom. Not to chase after people, but to chase after you. Not to believe what they say, but to believe what the Bible says. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. What are the virtues? Let me just ask that question. What are the virtues that you need to pursue? If your desire is to be well-known or to be popular or to be liked, those are the wrong things to chase after. But maybe in your life you need to pursue more selflessness. Maybe you need to pursue more humility. Maybe you just need to be more genuine. What do you need to do? If you're not a Christ follower this morning, you need to make it about him and not about yourself. He died for your sins because you were never going to be good enough, even if you could fool everybody into thinking so. Jesus died, and we've sung about that a lot this morning, but Jesus died for you because you're not good enough, but he was. And he took your sins on a cross, and he rose again and defeated sin, and he offers you forgiveness, and he offers you eternal life if you'll just put your trust in him. Instead of in yourself, would you take that step this morning? Dear Jesus, we commit ourselves to you because you are worthy of our lives. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Thanks so much for joining me. It's great to be back. We had a good weekend last weekend visiting with all sorts of family over in the Milwaukee, Chicago area. But we missed you. And it's so good to be back. Let's go out and make a big deal of Jesus this week. You're dismissed.